0: Thank you for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts that are facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern, and we hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. Hello and welcome to part two of our Trends, Technologies, and Concepts. This is our Bandwidth. Yay! So, as always, as always, my co-host is Mr. Richard Holmes. Hello, everyone. Can't get rid of me that easily. (laughs) No, we can't. No, we can't. We have tried, and we can't. Uh And, uh, as always, the producer for this episode, who may talk or may not talk, is Madame Jenny. Say hello, Hannah. Come on. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Tripping over (laughs) cables to get there Um, Yeah, so This uh, particular topic This particular one is part two of our first one Which is on the rest of the trends and technologies and concepts For 2017 and beyond
1: Yeah, we got a bit heavy, didn't we, on the first one?
0: We did, yeah, and we ran seven minutes over We've been told off So we'll make sure we stay within our 30 minute limit Yes So, without further ado Let's crack on so, obviously, we had our first five. We've got four more to go. Four. Four. Yeah, four. I did nine. I found I found it an odd number this year. I thought Ten was all a bit cliche. Hey, no, let's be disruptive. <coughs> let's have nine in our top ten. Exactly. I like that. Exactly. We'll leave the last one as a as a listeners' vote. Ooh, feedback if you've got a listeners' vote. All right. So the first one, um, or sorry, say so the the sixth one. Yeah. Is once again lovely. Uh, Lovely title, Hello Computer. Hello Computer. Now, this is all about the rise of the voice interface. Now, for those of you who don't know what a voice interface is, Siri, the Amazon uh, Alexa, or the Google Home, mm-hmm. or a thousand and one other devices and pieces of technology around your home that you can talk to, that's what we're talking about. And we're not referring necessarily to the rise of the technology, because the technology, although it has although it has got a lot, lot better in recent years, the technology is not what I'm referring to. It's more the social stigmatism that goes around the technology is going away. I think people talking to their technology is becoming more and more commonplace and actually more and more useful. And that has driven a better evolution of the technology and the apps that go around voice-driven interfaces, which has driven a greater adoption. Rich?
1: I'm <coughs> going to say something now. I, I think the voice interface, we've not begun to see exactly where this is going to go. I also think that we have not seen as revolutionary a man-machine interface as this since the advent of the mouse. I yeah. think, you know what, yeah. t- touch screens, yeah, it's kind of like, like a
0: keyboard still. It is, I it, is, agree it more.
1: is. Voice absolutely changes
0: the dynamic of how you yeah. interact with technology. Well, the reality is, as I've said a thousand times over, you don't, we don't communicate through typing on a keyboard and letters popping up on a screen. We communicate with voice. We can be much more, we can be quicker, more elaborate, more detailed with voice that's you know we communicate like this rather than holding up slides to talk to each other in the street because this is a really highly effective way of communicating information so as I say it makes perfect sense and I love your analogy to the mouse because it really will be the next big human computer interface yep so You know, why is it in our, uh, what's its appropriateness to the channel? Why is it in our top ten for something that is supposed to, at some point, um, relate back or harp back in some way to the channel and to stuff that we can actually all and get on board with?
1: Enterprise computing.
0: Yeah, enterprise computing. Exactly that. So essentially where this harps back to is, um, so we've been doing some experimentation with the Amazon Alexa in the London office. Much and if you, yeah, if, you can come in, if you come in, you can, you, you're more than welcome to have a play and, and see what we're talking about. But basically what we've done is we've written a bunch of skills that essentially turn Alexa into, um, well, uh, we're doing it around the How Happy is London project, but yes. effectively you can ask Alexa quite complex queries. So how happy was London last month? How happy was London two months ago? How happy are the trains for the last month? How happy is London now? And essentially what she's doing is turning your voice into a, a query, going away, querying in real time 27,000 data points if you're talking about one month, and then coming back with a highly computed answer. And that answer is literally a very, very accurate representation of the happiness of London for that particular period of time. So my my goal with this is that you, know, you want your workers to be as effective as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Well, if they've got to dive through spreadsheets to get the answer for what were the sales for a particular product or a particular, you know, what was the efficiency of a particular person. Give me half an hour. (laughs) Give me half an hour. Give me a spreadsheet. Let me dive through it. Let me write some formulas and things. Can't find it. Can't find it or get it wrong because I'm a human and I introduce human error. Whereas if you just ask the office, you know, for those of you who are Star Trek fans, you know, computer style, Um, If you can just ask the office those questions, you'll be able to be a lot more productive worker. And that's sort of where I'm coming from from this. The stigmatism is now dissipating, so what can the technology offer us as a way to optimise the office? So literally, you can just ask the office the question, and then because the office obviously identifies, or the the system identifies your voice against other people's voices, it will then drop the answer back down to your machine, so it doesn't have to speak back, so that everyone can hear the answer. You'll be able to speak relatively sort of locally, so you won't have to shout above everyone else. You'll just be able to say, <laughs> a "Room full shouting people." Hello yeah. office. Hello office. What's the uh, yeah? What are the sales yeah. for last month? You no. Know, so th- that's the whole point. It will be almost this personal assistant. Yes. In but this voice interface. So you know that was one of my big my big things, and uh, I honestly think you know as we look to further. Optimize that incredibly expensive resource that is an office with people in it. Mm-hmm. How can we get further efficiencies? And I also think the voice interface will be one of the places where we see fantastic sort of uh, optimizations going forward. So we're going to see it step out of the
1: consumer realm, which is yep. pretty much <coughs> where some of the early... Which is early where all technologies are. get baked, exactly. Yep. And it's going to start encroaching in the enterprise. Yeah, it's a, it's a surprisingly easy step to take. Can I ask a question? By all means, will we see better deployments than we see with, say, voice activating voice recognition in cars? Because, cause quite frankly, yeah, I mean, that's never been one for the me. The reality was well.
0: that was a. <laughs> this is so. I've got a real bugbear with cars, so I had a really nice car, very expensive, and it had the world's worst software. So the actual interface that you'd use to sort of play your tunes and things. Dreadful. The Bluetooth connectivity, dreadful. The whole thing was awful. In fact, the car was pretty much let down by the software interface was written for it. And it's exactly the same with their voice activation systems. Car manufacturers are not software guys. They are not security guys. They are not they are engine manufacturers and drivetrain manufacturers and you know coach workers. They are not software engineers. I think I've They're, touched a nerve there, listeners. Therefore Yeah, th- so interestingly what I used to do was actually connect my phone my phone that began with an i with my assistant that began with an s up to the car and talk and use her as essentially my way of getting things done in the car shall we move on yeah (laughs) long and short voice activation uh it will be big um and i honestly think it's something to, to to take into account as a new human computer interface so right moving on yes so the next one, the enterprise becomes a telco. So, once again, a little bit of explanation. Yes, so please. Essentially what we mean by this is uh, connectivity between locations and connectivity between data centers, specifically connectivity between public data centers or, or sort of data centers in the real world, should we say, and the cloud okay. is difficult <laughs> yeah. and expensive. Um, yes. But... It doesn't always have to be that way. The dark art that is being a telco is being unlocked and very much unbundled like broadband was many years ago. So what telcos are now allowing you to do is instead of saying, here's your piece of fibre, you want any changes, it's £100, 000, 000, 000 a £100,000 million ago. go. Um, can I book a cross yeah, can, yeah, to data can can I data an, centre? And I need an yeah. engineer oh, and it's oh, going right to be yeah. loads of money. Um, <coughs> What we're seeing is the rise or the sort of the mass adoption now of what we're calling the software-defined WAN. So the software-defined wide area network. Essentially, it's been software defined. It is. And you know what? This is a technology that sort of has come about that was very much the preserve of the telcos, because that's the way they've been doing and getting the most out of their lines for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. But actually is now starting to be unlocked by a lot of enterprises who are doing hybrid cloud deployments or inter-office deployments. And they're looking for the ability to take more control and give more flexibility or even some, you know, and be able to scale up and scale down different apps um, utilization of an individual piece of Mm. fiber. And it's a really clever way, because if you think about how you would do a software defined network where you might do micro segmentation, you might do QoS on demand, to be able to scale your network infrastructure to meet the needs of your applications rather than having a very stagnant Non-flexible infrastructure. It's it's, yeah. it's it's pretty cool, and it's a technology that's coming on leaps and bounds. I, uh, I think I see where you're coming from with this. I will go back so sort of five, seven years
1: or so. There were there were networking vendors and appliance builders that that did, I suppose, an element of things like that, like bandwidth management. Mm. Yeah, you you'd take a nice purple or blue or whatever color it was box. Plug it into your network and it would it would do exactly that, but there was no there was no algorithm there was no process behind it other than what you set out as the parameters of well, I will let this network traffic which relates to this application through, and that w- we will always assure that it gets that level of performance bandwidth and then mm. we'll we'll do something similar here with this app, and then you know what everything that's left that will get Squeezed, and that will get used by everything else because that is not as mission critical as these two areas here. So what you're really saying is we've seen, yeah, an evolution of that sort of principle and approach expanded out of the enterprise, moving away from being uh, an install of a specific appliance, but then also being able to gain a garner rather benefits like you've just explained there in mm. a wider hybrid type
0: context, yeah? Yep. Yeah, exactly that. Wow. So, you know, if you can software if you're if you think that software defining your sort of local network, your LAN, your yep. local area network, is is a powerful proposition. Imagine being able to literally treat your remote data centers. Because this is the thing, right? So one of my big things for twenty seventeen is to stop Referring to the data center as being something that's inside four walls in a physical environment in Iraq Whatever you want to call it, but the data center becomes a loosely coupled um, Collection of resources that perform or deliver a service or an outcome to a business So your data center could be a combination of cloud public cloud private cloud. Yeah, you know legacy systems Services delivered as api's it could be a whole plethora of different um, mechanisms that are all working in unison to essentially deliver an outcome. It doesn't necessarily have to be one rack of servers and networking and storage in a location. Right. And I think that's probably one of the biggest differences for me between where we are now and why we need these sorts of technologies, to, because to, to take advantage of those technologies in an enterprise deployment, where you are where you have huge loads where you need to guarantee levels of um service and guarantee level of latency that is done in varying workloads by having software defined wans
1: right so in essence all the disparate systems and resources in your enterprise outside your enterprise you own you use from contractors you use from Public cloud providers. Mm. Everything in essence, you start to view it all as a single platform.
0: Yeah, it becomes essentially your data center is not what you thought it was two years ago. Your data center is essentially the collection of resources you use to deliver a business outcome. You might have multiple data centers, you might call them service oriented architectures. It doesn't really matter. The data center is no longer the locked in, you know security so, you know security secure rack in a mm. in an air-conditioned room it is now very much that loosely coupled and this almost brings us on to you know a term composable infrastructure which is where we sort of layer on a level of infrastructure as code on top of that to really bring a level of flexibility yeah. to that loosely coupled group of services and and systems that creates that virtual data center
1: I'd whistle but people will find it painful
0: yeah Talking to platforms, shall we move on to the next one? Yes. So the next one is, and it sort of comes on from a lot of things which we've just spoke, spoken about, the infinite platform.
1: Infinite, infinite,
0: infinite, <laughs> infinite. I've been dying to do that ever Thanks, since buddy. I read that. Thanks, <laughs> buddy. So, um, all right, So this one's an interesting one. Now, I, I started off quite liking this term, but then it got used to death and back again, and now it has absolutely no meaning. And that's why I've decided to make one of my trends, like one of my concepts. The infinite platform. So we have a concept of it's the first He's going to take it back. Platform. He's going to
1: lay claim to
0: it again. Yes. We have, um, we have this concept called the first platform, yep. mainframes. We have yep. a concept called the second platform, which was client-server computing, oh. or the, the, the start of essentially distributed, commoditized silicon. We then have this thing called the third platform, Some people are talking about the fourth platform. And I even heard some complete nutter talking about the fifth platform last year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Other nutters are available. And and (laughs) you know what? (laughs) When computing was moving in 15... uh, So the theory is that the first platform was essentially came into existence... The first platform came into existence in 1950, roughly. Second platform, if you... I'm, I'm literally sort of paraphrasing Wikipedia here came into existence in about 1980, so that's a 30-year increment. The third platform came into existence around and about 2010. So, you know, you're seeing 30, 25, but then the fourth platform was essentially come in in five years, supposedly, and then the fifth. And we're just going to continue on this ridiculous sort of um, assault on the senses of these ever-evolving, ever more complex and ridiculous platforms. So
1: let's part the fifth fifth one for the minute, because I don't even think my my tiny little brain's ready for this one. Fourth platform, let's go back to that.
0: Well, the fourth platform is is defined very, 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 very loosely Mm -hmm. as essentially the AI revolution. So AI, (laughs) augmented reality, that sort of very, very, very deeply highly contextualized, highly personalized experience. So third platform was social media, was IoT, was cloud. The fourth platform is where we're going to see AI and um, virtual reality, augmented reality. That sort of... And and the personalized... I'm going to put in there as well the personalized experience. So the ability for organizations to not give you a sort of uh, macro sort of view of the world, but to give you a very, very, very highly refined micro view of the world, your view of the world. It'll be that... I can't remember the film now, but somewhere where someone walks into a shop and essentially the shop immediately knows who they are and then essentially says, oh, welcome back, Mr. Fern. You know, you, last time you bought these, they're on offer at the moment. Duh, 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 duh. Literally, like, just me in the whole shop. So, essentially, that's supposed... Isn't that essentially what those Amazon shops are doing? This yes. The Amazon supermarket. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, because, the, you know, taking that online experience and bringing it into the world. But, look, I'm almost promoting the bland blinking platforms. I'm trying to disrupt them here. <laughs> the platforms are ridiculous, because the reality is, as we are seeing... The rate of innovation and the rate of adoption try to m- almost mirror each other. It's daft to keep having these platform discussions because it's just someone's want and desire to, to try and take essentially innovation, rapid innovation, and put it in a box where it doesn't deserve to be. So break out of the box, we're having the infinite platform. All right? The reality is Windows have turned around and said that they, they can't keep naming and launching brands <laughs> of freaking Microsoft Windows quick enough to keep up with the pace and the rate of innovation. Now, that's what I call software album 392. Exactly. So, you know, this is just ridiculous. So we're going to stop calling it platform, and we're going to start just calling it the technology industry. That's the rate it moves in. We're not going to define platforms. We're going to talk about interesting solutions and technologies, and we're going to talk about how they are exponentially getting faster and faster and faster. So what happened in... 30 years, took 25, then took 15, it's now taking five, it's going to take two and a half, it's going to take a year, it's going to take six months. And before you know it, we'll all be completely, completely taken over and Skynet will have put us all and turned us all into batteries. And oh, finish.
1: Uh, it might just do wonders for your blood pressure if we just keep talking about Infinite Platforms. So we'll do that, we'll do that. So, uh, hang on, we are on to, we're on to number nine then. I think we're on to number nine. Security postures become uncomfortable. Please explain.
0: <laughs> so this is a good one. So, um, it better be. So, once again, right? So, natty title, but a real world problem. So, um, we've spoken in the past about um, how information technology, yes, is colliding with operational technologies, how um, the risks. On you know the the risks that are out there, the security sort of breaches and problems that exist in the world today, are becoming well. The, there's an industry bigger than the security industry writing sort of breaches and hacks and malware ransomware. Malware, and ransomware. Sort of stuff, yep. Heard of one the other day? Rot Go ransomware on. of things. So, essentially, ransomware designed specifically towards the Internet of Things, it's getting out of hand. So, the reality is, right, if you are of the opinion or if your comfort zone in security is Mr. Firewalls, all you're doing is basically taking a a locked door and putting more latches on it. It's pointless. You need to start to step outside your comfort zone in security and say, we can either employ lots more people Mm -hmm. and put lots more of the legacy technologies in place and lock down our business further and you know, really start to sort of hamper the business to be agile and be able to adapt to change on demand. Or we can start to think, you know, step outside our comfort zone and look to technologies like user behavioral analytics, like um, you know, th- the stuff that we're seeing from FireEye and Checkpoint and F5 around carbon understanding black. carbon black. Yeah, exactly, about sort of understanding every single bit of data that comes through and being able to quantify it and basically be able to do really, really clever high-throughput analysis on it. Palo Alto's capabilities to be able to do some really interesting stuff there. There's all of these technologies, and this is not, you know, the normal sort of firewall IPS, IDS, bit of AV here and there. This is the sort of stuff that's really going to help you to change, you know, and, and be able to embrace mobile working, be able to embrace, you know, I- using services, cloud services and not having them cripple your business because you've got to open up holes in your organization to to communicate and, mm. and deal with things. Being able to um quantify the risks better, being able to um automatically deal with potential threats rather than, you know, signalling some poor bloke who's, you know, on call but at three o'clock in the morning.
1: Yeah, I mean this is an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean I think to put a bit of substance around the comment you made about sort of you know the the black hat side of security being you know w- way bigger than white hat yeah w- i saw I can't remember where it was now, but a few weeks ago there was a <coughs> a a press article that basically said you know in ne never mind in two years time today, we have a massive skills shortage in the cyber security space. And, you know, it's interesting to see people at IBM uh, employing Watson um, in some of their security offerings because, you know what, it's, I suppose it's it's that shift of skills up the value chain, like you say, you know what, it's not good enough to employ a piece of technology that's going to send an alert to a person that might be asleep, might even be on holiday, might yep. even be in hospital, um, you know, or, or, or off ill. You know, s- some something that is out of control of, you know what, the process that you've put in place. Yep. Surely it's better to now start looking at <coughs> using things like AI, machine learning, and say, well, right, yeah, we're going to pick up patterns. We're going to look at the vast array of data that we've got visibility of. We're not just going to put more locks on the door. What we're going to do is we're going to be smarter. We're going to not just identify you know, the, the plethora and the ever-increasing number of threat vectors that affect our business. Mm. What we're going to do is we're going to overlay a process on top of that. We're yeah. going to say, right, when we see that happen, yeah, we'll tell somebody about it, but we actually know what that means. So what, what the technology, what the, what the software, what the services, security service will do is it will react, and it will employ a prescribed... Automated...
0: Automated... automated outcome. yes. And and this is the thing, okay, so w- when you start to also take into account <coughs> IoT or operational technologies that are starting to also work over Wi-Fi and, and sort of, even if they are initially coming over Zigbee or LoRa or mm-hmm. Sigfox or Thread or one of the other sort of IoT-specific protocols, they're still going to a gateway that's then turning them into IP, which is coming yep. from somewhere else. That theoretically makes every single air conditioning, light bulb, door sensor, lock, every piece of technology you implement into organization another possible threat vector. There is no way, you can can throw more people than you care at that problem. You are not gonna be able to secure it down. You need to get more intelligent, and you need to step out of what you know today as commonplace security practices and security technologies and start to look at the latest and greatest, you know, it's about adopting stuff that really is very brand new in its capabilities, and then going for it, mm. and really, really, really making, you know, becoming very good at, at as I say, being hap- being comfortable outside your comfort zone. And I suppose that's what the, the sort of title was trying to push to, was as the security be- posture becomes um, more uncomfortable, as you feel that you're losing control, you need to... Uh, W- you need to adopt technologies that aren't necessarily in your um ballpark to be able to really go to town on being able to fix these problems without just throwing more and more and more human resource at mm. the issue which is not the way to scale the problem or scale the solution for the problem mm. so that brings us to the end of our uh, of our little part 2 our part 2 so yeah anything else to add um no, no.
1: We s- we're still clear of Fablets this year, which I thank you for. I
0: still think Fablets was a good choice from last year. Ah, uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But no, I think...
1: <coughs> I think there's some underlying trends there that, you know, we'll see... With the things that you pointed out, they are influenced by, you know, each other. So, you know, things... Things like um, voice interaction. Well, you know what, APIs play a massive element in that in in the deployment of that in you know, in a useful business outcome. You look at security again, AI, machine learning. Mm-hmm. You know, utilising a level of you know the the next step above you know the the known and trusted algorithms that security vendors have manufactured through the years. I am and uh, augmenting of services. So, so yeah, you know, um, we'll see what we? we'll see in twelve months' time if you're on the button yep. with it. But I, I can see where th- where they interlink. I can see. Good. I can see that. Uh, well, I think we
0: might have a major review.
1: Yeah, should we do that? Should we do that? Um, I'm, yeah. <coughs> I'm trying not. To, I'm trying not to be sceptical about it. It's there's Look. a f- there's a few things there's the there's a few things like Infinite Platform. Thi- this might be my fabulence for this year. Um, I don't know.
0: Oh, oh, uh, seriously, really we, we can't keep evolving them quick enough. Look, anyway, listeners, you decide. Come back to us. Speak to us on Twitter, hashtag Arab bandwidth, and we will, uh, we'll bring your uh, your opinions and comments into the uh, into the fray. Mm. Listener what? feedback, brilliant. And um, on that note, <laughs> I was going to bombshell it, but yeah, oh. no, no works for me. All right, thank you very much, Rich. Thank you, David. And uh, thank you, Hannah. And we will speak to you next week. Take care. Cue the music.